Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. marcharse de ese miedo, miedo de momento está enchufado ahora justo lo digo y justo se pierde ahí a punto ha estado de cometer penalti pepe 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 gol de Nicolás pepe pepe Is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. Not as always with James from Gunnerblog. James is not around today, but filling in valiantly like Granite Shacker at left back, it's Andrew Allen. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? That is the harshest compliment I think I've ever received. I'm sorry. Look, it's not it's not a <laughs> it's not to question your ability or anything like that. I know you're gonna give it a hundred percent, etc. etc. But you know. Anyway, look, we're here and we're going to talk about a a 3-1 win over West Brom in the Premier League, which lifts us to the dizzy heights of ninth. So um, let me ask you this. How was your, um, your, enthousi- your enthusiasmometer before this game? How up for it were you? Um, I think about quarter to seven, I was still on the sofa dozing after a couple of lunchtime pints um <laughs> trying to trying to work out whether or not i should start setting up the match report all the rest of it uh yeah it's fair to say i was not particularly enthusiastic about the prospect of playing football at 7 p.m on sunday night a game that is and was basically a dead rubber training game um but you know i managed to to get psyched up when i saw everybody arguing on twitter about the team news so that was always uh, that was always funny that is one of the the real consistent things about this season is that regardless of whatever else happens on the pitch or off it the hour before kickoff is just twitter mayhem with people going crazy about the the lineup whichever team is picked there's always a, an issue somewhere isn't there always i find i find it fascinating i think it's in, in in a weird way, lockdown has kind of exacerbated this as a thing because for the 60,000 people who used to go to the stadium, you used to sort of find out the team news sort of on the way to the ground or when you're yeah. having a pint and stuff like that. You weren't really paying that much attention to it. Um, if it happened, it happened, you know, mm. and you just sort of got into the ground and then it, the game was starting yeah. and it was on you and you didn't really worry about it. But now every decision, everything is, is just chewed over in so much detail. Um and I just, I don't know, I just can't, I can't get that worked up about it because it's, it's, it's out of your control at that point and the game's about to kick off and you actually have no idea who might do well on the day because almost every one of those players has managed to let us down at some point and others <laughs> have done very well when you've unex- it's not been expected. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I keep thinking back to that Leicester game when we played away from home 
where everyone was going absolutely mad and then we produced quite a good win and um, you know that kind of for me is a sort of good benchmark as to why you just shouldn't bother getting that stress yeah, yeah I generally post the team news and then like switch off for an hour because look I get it I get why people see certain names on the team sheet and go oh my god and I get why they don't see when they don't see a name on the team sheet and they go oh my god I mean I do get it I understand it but Arsenal have caused us so much stress and, and worry and uh, uh, frustration this season that I, you know I, I I have to just let it be the stuff that happens on the pitch rather than the the hour leading up to kickoff, which is, you know, like you say, it's out of our hands. And there are there are reasons, I suppose, for some of these team selections, some of which we can understand, some of which we find it very difficult to understand. But but ultimately, you know, it doesn't change anything going crazy um, for a good hour. I don't think it does much for your blood pressure or, or anything else. So... Uh, speaking of which, I mean, what did you make of the team last night? Uh, <laughs> were there were there names on there that you were like, oh, I mean, there were a couple, I think. Um, I, I I don't I didn't I didn't look at it and think that it was particularly unexpected. I have to say, I mean, it was the same group of mm. players that I feel like he's just going to persist with now until the end of the season. You know, whether he thinks they're going to be there or not. Um, you know, so people like Sabayas and El Nini starting in midfield, I was a bit of a shrug of the shoulders. I was like, yeah, that kind of just about makes sense. Um, I think you could potentially have had some eyebrows about, um, I guess, Saka playing at left-back, given that we we do have other left-backs. Um, do we? Do we? I mean, <laughs> we, we do now, maybe, given that Tierney is more or less back to full fitness. But that, for me, was, uh, you know... That was. I was looking at the team and I was going, okay, okay, starting. What sort of formation is this? And then when you work it out, and you you move the pieces around in your head, and you realize that more than likely, I mean, that's one of the things about Arteta's team selections is that you you have an idea in your head. Okay, I think this is what it is, and sometimes you can be quite wrong. Like you know, the the um, you think there's somebody in a certain position, it turns out to be somebody else, or it's a different system or formation. But looking at it last night, I was pretty convinced that it was Saka left back given the personnel that he picked and I I did find that slightly infuriating given that it was something that I've been very keen to see for the last little while Um, yeah yeah it's funny I mean I know that you've been banging the drum for what was it over a month I think you Mm. showed the headline of the the blog that you wrote excuse me um it it was a weird reminder once the game got started. You were kind of like, oh, yeah, now I see how this kind of could have played out over the course of the last month. And, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't angry, but I was kind of like, how did he not see the, the benefits of having a, a really gung-ho attacking left-footed player playing on the wing? And, you know, when your team is relatively one-dimensional in the type of football it plays and um, kind of reshuffled itself just to accommodate Granite Jack about that, how how did we not go with that? Because um, he was he was really very, very good. Um, and he kind of made life easier for some of the other players around him, I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that was but- that was my whole thing about this. I realised, you know, that, that given we had some, some injuries, um, Odegaard was injured for a little while and he wouldn't have been available. And, and, you know, taking Saka out of the front three, I can understand why there was a reluctance to do that, but it always felt to me like, how do you maintain some measure of consistency in terms of how we're trying to play, the kind of football that we're trying to play? So you have one option, which is basically... 
like for like, it more or less. I'm not saying they're they're exactly the same kind of player, but they play in pretty much the same kind of way. As we saw yesterday, Kieran Tierney likes to get forward, overlaps, puts in crosses from the left-hand side, gets in behind the fullback. You know, exactly what Bakayo Saka did time and time and time again yesterday. And your other option is like, okay, you can make it work, but you've got to move all these other pieces in order to make that work. And it has a a profound effect on on how you're playing and some of our best performances this season. I mean, people would say, I think most people would say, Tierney is one of our most important players, not just because of his character and his quality, but because of how he plays and how it allows the team to play. So for me, it was just, it's just, what do people say? Is it a galaxy brain a little bit where where you overthink things to the point like, okay, I want to keep Saka here, so how do I how do I deal with the left back situation? Okay, I'll move a, a a big, fairly immobile central midfield player there. Right, I'm not going to let him cross the halfway line, so I've got to get someone else into that left space to to pick up the slack in that area of the pitch to connect with the left-sided forward. But then that leaves my central midfielder with a lot to do. But I tell you what, it's Thomas Partey. He's great. He's experienced. He's a really high-quality player. I'll just ask him to do everything in central midfield. And I know we won against Sheffield United, but like Sheffield United are bottom of the table. And I know we won against Slavia Prague, but Slavia Prague are Slavia Prague, with all due respect to them. You know, there is a golf in quality. It's games like Fulham, it's games like Everton, and it's the two games against Villarreal where I think if we had played Saka from the start, the, the, the slight or possibly more than slight issue we would have had replacing him in the front three would definitely have been offset by what he gave us in terms of the structure and the, the, simply the way we play the game. Yeah, I do. I do wonder whether ultimately he just got to a point where he was like, "I'm missing too many bit players in too many positions," mm. and you know, I think the David Luiz absence probably partly played into the Xhaka decision at left back, didn't it? Because he was looking for someone with a left foot who could ping the ball around a yeah. little bit, and there was so many little knock-on effects. Like if I take Saka out of here, who goes in his place? Do I play Pepe? Do I play Erdegaard? Do I, you know, and, 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 and ultimately, he, yeah, William, oh God, yeah. And he kind of just sort of went round and round and round in his head about all the different options and ultimately settled on one that just, it just didn't, it didn't really work. I know you've, you've, you've said it's, you know, Captain Hindsight or whatever um, previously, but I mean, it really does feel like we, we missed a trick. And the fact is, is that, you could easily start Saka at left back in a game, and if it's not working out, you know you can move him. You know if you feel like he's been found out or that he's not offering enough defensively. Mm. And interestingly, I thought last night Arteta was quite pointed in yeah. his response to some of the questions from journalists after the game, where he basically said, "Look, we know what he brings to the to the table going forward, but defensively, there's still a lot to work on." Um, and I guess that kind of gives you an insight if he thought that the problem with Saka at left back was going to be defensive over the course of the last couple of months, that he was going in with a defensive first attitude. Mm. Um, and there were so many games where you just couldn't afford to do that. You know, we need to take games to teams. Um, 
and and, and we, we quite often didn't. So yeah, bit of a struggle there. Water under the bridge at this point. But look, what Saka did yesterday was I I think he showed a just his quality on that left hand side, left hand side, right hand side, centre. You know, you can play him everywhere. He is he's just such a talented player. But he did bring something to our attacking play that's been missing for quite a while and that was you know the ability to get beyond the fullback to make runs you know he was found quite well you know uh look i think one of the things that people were talking about afterwards was like how we combined quite well with with willian and willian we were were chatting during the game after about 15 minutes wondering if he completed a pass and i looked up the stats on who scored and he hadn't not a single pass in the opening 15, 20 minutes. And look, Willian and Saka did combine quite well, but I don't know that Willian had to do a great deal that was particularly complicated beyond play a ball inside or outside a fullback because the quality of the run that Saka was making made it obvious, uh, you know, what he needed to do. And he's an experienced player and he should, you know, and is more than capable of, of doing that. But it really is all about Saka's willingness to run, willingness to take on players, a bravery and a a a positivity about his play, which I think is matched by Emil Smith-Rowe as well. And maybe it's the first flush of youth for these guys and, you know, they'll become downtrodden and and taken out of it. But, you know, I think if we're looking to the future, if we're looking to what we can build around, to what are the real positives from from this season, it's these guys. And those two combined, obviously, really well uh, for the first goal. Yeah, I mean, it was a really lovely, really lovely goal. And it's about taking responsibility, ultimately. Um, You know, so often you see players given the ball and their first decision is take a touch, give it back to someone else. And these guys, more often than not, want to make something happen. Because, Mm. you know, if you don't, games become these kind of horrible stead viewings that we've had so often this season. So, yeah, I mean, look, Saka's willingness to run down the channels and make life easier for his teammates by basically going, look, you know I'm going to do this, give me the ball. And I think Willian and Sabayas eventually picked up on that. Um, I think for Smith-Rowe, really nice finish, you know, lovely, lovely, lovely goal. Um, took it in a kind of Ramsey-esque way, I, I thought, you know, kind of charging onto the ball into the box. Um, really enjoyed it. Lovely to see it coming as a sort of a hail-end duo. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there were not many positives this season, but you can hang your hat on that as as, as one of them. Um I, I, again, you know, Arteta made some interesting comments after the game. I'm sure we'll get to those. But um, there is this kind of underlying suggestion that he wants us to be patient with them. But it's also so bloody obvious already now that they're so central to everything we do. Um, and it's been that way now since December the 26th. Yeah. Um, which is crazy, really. You know, they've, they've just basically been trying to carry things. What did you, I mean, let's talk about the comments that he made afterwards. Um, what did you make of them? Because I saw some people... Um, take a little bit of issue with them when he was talking about Smith Rowe in particular and and what he was saying about, you know, to be the number 10, you need to score 10 goals and get 15 assists or whatever it was one way or the other. And and Willian, you know, has to do it because he's been there and done that more in the T-shirt, basically. To me, it sounded like he was just saying, look, Smith Rowe is is inexperienced. We can't put that much responsibility on him yet. And, And Willian... Um, has kind of underperformed. I think we all know Willian has underperformed this season. Mm. So what what did you make of those comments? Did you read into them what, what other people have? Was it a bit clumsy? Could he have expressed himself a bit better, do you think? 
I think I think it was clumsy language. I think what he was trying to get across is the fact that he obviously knows that Smith Rowe is a major talent and that everybody's been raving about his performances this mm. season and that really the sky is the limit. And so far, when it comes to the underlying numbers, you know, he obviously can improve on the number of goals he gets, the number of assists he gets. And um, ultimately, what he was also saying was we need to be patient with him because while there's room for improvement, it doesn't happen overnight. He didn't want, I don't think, to be putting all of the demands on Smith Rowe. Whereas he said, with Willian having done this at Chelsea, we have to put those demands on him. And he mm. said much the same about Pepe as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, I, I think that's where he was coming from. It just sometimes I think when questions are opposed to him, he sort of stumbles over his words a little bit, trying to get a point across. And it, he starts off going down one avenue and ends up at another. And the bit at the beginning gets circled by people, and they sort of go, "Well, hang on a minute, what's he saying there?" Um, so I'll give ben- no, Arteta the benefit of the doubt there. Um, I think he knows he's got a gem on his hands. Um, it's you know I, 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 there is a bit of me that wonders if if Smith Rowe had been fit at the start of the season, if we'd had a couple more months of him, kind of you know when we were in that Urzel malaise, um, whether or not you know we might have actually garnered a few more points that mm. might have been the difference between us kind of scrabbling around trying to make the Europa Conference League and actually being in a Europa League position. Yeah, I mean, the other side of that is that if he had been fit for the start of the season, maybe he would have gone out on loan. There yeah, is that yeah. possibility as well. But look, take nothing away from him. You know, the, the contribution he's made so far to this season, I think, has been been significant. You know, we... we we can't hold up too many players individually as as ones who have really um, performed to the level that we would expect. And, you know, Smith Rowe is a young guy who's come in and I think probably done more than people would have expected, you know, uh, when he's parachuted in against Chelsea on the 26th of December and everyone's going, well, this feels like a bit of a desperate throw of the dice and he plays the way he plays and and becomes very quickly an important part of, of the team because of his personality on the pitch, because of the character he has, because of the way he wants to be positive as much as possible in terms of, of how he plays the game. I thought it was also interesting, Arteta, talking about how you know he's he's having ongoing issues muscular issues etc cetera, etc cetera, because of how frequently he's playing uh, and at the level and the intensity to which he's playing so i'm looking at at, at preseason as really important for emil smith rowe because i think he has pretty much defined uh, a role in the team for himself it's there for him to take it if he wants but a good summer of rest and a good preseason and build his fitness up properly feels like going into a season where you know we're not going to be encumbered by um, a lot of midweek action, shall we say, unless something crazy happens in these last three games. You know, it could really suit him. Yeah, I mean he's played far, he's played far more football than I thought he would when he came into the team because when you look at how much football he'd played previously. I mean, he obviously mm. had had some big injuries, real kind of niggly injuries. And I thought um, we've done relatively well kind of resting him when we, we needed to. I know it caused controversy along the way, but um, 
at the same time, I mean, he is, he's a young kid. He's, you know, he's got a lot of pressure on him. And, and I think coming into next season, for sure, he still needs to have some competition alongside him. Like, there definitely sure. needs to be another alternative to, to, to Emil Smith-Rowe in the number 10 role. Absolutely, 100%. And um, it will be interesting to see how we, we, we tackle that problem. But yeah, I, I can't help but think that, you know, as, a, as an individual, he'll feel more settled in the first team. Um, I think his status has grown. I think you can see, even though he's a very low-key kid, that he, he just has an underlying confidence in mm. his own ability. And um, yeah, I think going into next season, yeah, for sure, he needs, a, he needs a good rest. But you just never know how when a player might pick up an injury. And that, that's, the, that's the one thing that kind of concerns me is this, you know, we've got some good young players in there, but we, can't, yeah. we just can't put everything on them. Um, we don't know how their bodies are going to react. We've seen over the years so many young players pick up serious injuries before the age of 22, 23, mm. and the knock-on effects have, have shaped their career, really, um, at Arsenal more than anyone. Gabriel Martinelli mm. started up front as well, which you know was something a lot of people have been keen to see. It didn't really happen for him, but I think in many ways this game was a microcosm of, of our season in that our central striker really struggled to get any service. And I say that while acknowledging that uh, Bakayo Saka and his ability to get down the left-hand side and deliver into the box, there were some moments where it almost fell for Martinelli. There was one in the second half, I think a low cross, um, and he was sliding in, and I think it missed Smith Rowe at the back post. There were a couple of moments. Um, I mean, how much can we read into that performance uh, from from Martinelli? And it felt a little bit to me like, you know, when when the substitution was made, Lacazette was uh, sent on for Martinelli quite early in the mm-hmm. second half. It's earlier than we normally see Mikel Arteta make substitutions. Was it just about giving Lacazette some minutes for fitness? I don't really know why he would need to be super fit at this point. I know he's coming back from a hamstring injury and maybe he's planning to play him against Chelsea and wanted to give him, you know, half an hour to to run around and get some minutes into his legs. So how did you view the the Martinelli thing? Yeah, I I was certainly surprised to see Lacazette coming on when he did um, because I really felt like, you know, especially as that chance just gone begging, I think it was another, was it a sack ball that escaped him and ML Smith-Rowe? Yeah. And I think both of them went off very quickly afterwards, didn't they? They brought on Tierney as well. And actually, we completely lost all of our rhythm um, with with Lacazette kind of stepping in up front and stuff. So, um, yeah, it didn't work out for him yesterday. He didn't have a he didn't have a, a, a great game. And I think it was one of those ones where you've got a left back charging like Saka did, where you need players running across the near post to make life difficult for their defenders. And I don't think Martinelli's necessarily picked that that up as a kind of natural tendency I mean when he burst onto the scene he scored a couple of really lovely headers yeah um, from around that area but he he, he, he he doesn't do the Giroud thing where he directly tries to make all of his runs straight to the near post I mean at one point yesterday I remember there was a corner and I think he picked up the ball after it was cleared pretty much on our halfway line yeah with he was almost the entire pitch in it, front of him and all of the players he seemed to be the last man back it was really weird it was it was the the way he picked up the ball there it was it had everything that was he was desperate to get involved in the game so he went following the ball rather than 
thinking, I'm going to sniff out the chance mm. when it comes back into the box. It was almost like where he picked up the ball was like where Thierry Henry against Liverpool um, in that 4-2 game yeah, 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 yeah. picked up the ball. It was almost as like, if I get the ball here, I'm just going to charge forward and make something happen. And I, I kind of respect the eagerness, but I think he probably needs to be a little bit more disciplined about yeah. what he's doing there and rely on his teammates. I'd, I'd have to look at that again because maybe he was the guy who was uh, nominated or designated to be in that position, which seems really odd weird. if you know if he's your centre forward to have him doing that, but there you go. Um, yeah, look, yeah. you know, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility I mean, that, that that was the, the instruction. Do you, I mean, do you... Do you see his long-term future being, you know, the guy who leads the line in the centre position? I, uh, I mean, he had such joy against Newcastle on the left. You kind of feel like just give him a run there and let him try and make that his position his own a bit. Yeah, I, I think the difference is, of course, you have someone like Saka at left back who's mm. in those spaces where Mart- Martinelli was against Newcastle. So I think he can do it. I think he can be a, a central player. I just wonder if he might be much more of a a player who comes in from the left to the centre rather than being central all the time. Um, and he's the kind of player, I think, who would probably thrive from service, which puts him in behind a team. And I don't think we were ever going to get in behind West Brom because of the way they set up. You know, obviously they were trying not to concede. They needed to 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 win uh, in order not to get relegated. So when we had the ball, they were sitting deep. You know, the 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 central defenders, they packed the midfield, et cetera, et cetera. So there was no way of getting him in behind on the break. I mean, there was one moment where we did break. It could have been from one of their corners or something like that. And I think Willian had the chance to just pick his pass, but got rid of the ball as quickly as he could uh, down the line to Martinelli and, and left it undercooked so the defender was able to get there so that was really the only moment I can think of where he could have uh, been able to to get in behind the West Brom defense but we didn't make the most of that that particular break so look small sample size and as a rule I think our center forwards maybe struggle is the wrong word but they don't uh, they don't get the kind of goal scoring service that you would ordinarily like I think our centre forwards are asked to do a specific job and if chances come their way great but it's more about their role within the the defined structure that Arteta has yeah it's weird I mean if you're not playing a Bamiyang there and you've got your choices uh, Lacazette Martinelli and and Ketia all three of them are very different players um so there's no real consistent... I mean, you can ask them to do the same thing, but naturally their instincts is, is not going to be to behave in the same way on mm. the pitch. And I think we've, we've really struggled to, to kind of cope with that. You know, the fact that we've not had a consistent presence, whether it... Not, not an individual consistent presence, but a type of player consistent yeah. presence kind of at the top of the field all season, you know, because how do you build those kind of those one twos around the box how do you know where a player is going to be when the crosses come in I mean so often when a ball goes into the box and it was pretty much the same yesterday good balls were played into the box and players did not get to the ball and you know that that was a clear frustration you know good quality balls really good moves and we couldn't finish things off Mm. Um, I mean I know that we ended up scoring three very classy goals but 
um, you know, there were chances there to, to, to put some of the easier ones yeah. to, to, to bed. And um, that has been a consistent issue all season. Sure has. Look, Nicolas Pepe, what a great goal. I thought he had uh, an OK game. I thought the... The defender, there must be, I'd love to see the stats for Nicolas Pepe as to how many unsuccessful dribble attempts he's had. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not saying this to be critical, I'm just genuinely curious because it feels to me like when I think of Nicolas Pepe, I can think of really exciting moments like some of the goals that he scored. The goal last night was brilliant. Um, the, uh, the goal against Sheffield United earlier in the season, there was another goal quite recently as well where he dinked it over yeah Yeah, you know some really brilliant moments but when i see him pick up the ball on the on the right hand side my overriding image is of him running at a defender slash defenders and basically just getting tackled and losing the ball it seems to happen an awful lot Uh, and the defender last night um seemed to have his measure quite early on apart from that one moment, which was just unbelievable. Brilliant finish. Really nice finish. Classic Pepe sort of out of the blue producing something magic. And you all go, oh, God, he makes it look so easy when he does that. You yeah. know, in the same way that every time you know that Ian Robin's going to get on the ball and cut in on his left foot or Riyad Mahrez is going to get on the ball and cut in on his left foot, you kind of know exactly what they're going to do. And he, he, he just doesn't quite get into that position mm. often enough because, as you say it's that first beating of the man which tends to be his undoing and um i mean there are so many games this season i mean this he produced a very brilliant goal against wolves didn't he in that defeat away from home where yeah. he stepped in off the other side and another real wonderful sort of piece of individual um brilliance and he he kind of has done it he's a sort of one in three one in four kind of kind of kind of guy I guess and it's how do you get that down to one in two how does he become the the, the guy who wins the game mm. more regularly um, because when you when a team produces something like that I mean Arsenal are a very good example we always seem to kind of react very kindly to to scoring goals you know the collective confidence just sort of just starts to flow you know the, the the shoulders stop being so tense they start to open up they start to sort of and you you really need those guys to unpick the lock mm. um, and I guess you know that was exactly why Arteta was sort of pointing at him in the post-match comments as we talked about earlier about how you know these guys, these guys need to take responsibility they need to do it more often um, but yeah, it was it was it was funny. I think it was Connor Townsend was the guy who was up against him, right? And it was almost as if um, in the first half, having been roasted, Allardyce basically said, "Look, just stand him up, get in there early. Mm. You know, don't don't let him take a couple of touches and sort of dink one way and then go the other. Just get your foot in on him." And yeah. quite a few other defenders have figured that out earlier. Yeah, I'd have to look this up. I do your point about the way what happens when we score. I know goals haven't been in in mega supply this season, but it does feel to me like quite often this season we score and then score again quite quickly. Um, that that goals come in little bursts or little clutches for. Us. So that's maybe something I'd have to I'd have to look up. Uh, their goal. Um, <laughs> mm. Mm. I like this from from uh, Tayo DJ Tayo, uh, who said, "Who would win a one hundred meter race between Danny Ceballos and Danielson? And do either of you have the patience or a spare day to find out?" Oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, honestly, if you put those two next to each other and had Mike Dean as the third person, Dean would win that by about ten <laughs> feet. I think. 
um, really... I mean, the thing is, you could see it happening. It was just like, he picked up the ball, and I was suddenly like, this bloke is just going to run at us, and all of our players were backpedalling, backpedalling, backpedalling. In fairness, I didn't I didn't until the very... There was a, quite a few replays, and I think it was actually in the after-game analysis... Rob Holding got dragged away by a very decent run when someone should have gone to him. But we've done that before. You know, we've let players just run straight through the middle. Yeah. So Bias, I mean, I guess if he'd stuck out a leg and taken him out cynically, we'd have all gone, okay, well done. He's taken it for the team. But the fact is you can't get yourself into that situation so often. You can't always have to make a a cynical challenge. I thought Gabriel kind of... Didn't do himself. He didn't cover himself in glory. No, um, the three the three defenders there, <clears throat> Chambers, Holding, and, and Gabriel. I know Holding had to go with the run, but I don't think for three central defenders to not deal with a guy just running straight at them was. Yeah, it's not great. Really not great defending. Ceballos is hilarious. The way he sort of runs and he's chugging along and then basically it's like his batteries run out. He starts pointing in one direction. It's just like, yeah, it's crazy. It's great. He, he knew, didn't he? I mean, he was just like, this is not on me. And the funny thing is, is, you know, that's a guy, Pereira, running with the ball at his feet and Ceballos has got nothing impeding him. He really can just bust a, bust a gut and go for it. And he got he got nowhere near. It was really bad. No. Was there any surprise whatsoever that he delivered a, a low drive that kind of crept in off the post? I mean, it was kind of at that point you thought, oh, here we go. You know, yeah, here, we're gonna. We're, I mean, I think you even messaged me to say their second goal is inevitable. At this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, not really, really not great. And. Th- that that was the 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 classic kind of us getting undone on the counter, and that was old Arsenal, mm. wasn't it? I mean, that was that was exactly what Arteta has been trying so hard to to stamp out. But we're still very very vulnerable when those you know transitions happen. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not like we were clinging on or anything like that, but certainly you could see the West Brom got a little bit of a confidence boost, and we were we were kind of afraid at that point. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, understandably so as well, because it's, it's the, happened it's so nerves. often this season, yeah. Uh, the, Arteta was asked about the nerves. Um, I think Allardyce referenced that Arsenal get nervous. You know, there's this just underlying mm. sense that everybody knows that if you can get at Arsenal, this Arsenal, that there are that, that there's a collective wavering of trust in each other that sort of happens. And um, I mean, it was... I, I I can't help but always go back to that Spurs game where, you know, there we are winning the game. Mm-hmm. They go down to 10 men. We're into the final 10 minutes. And you're kind of like, guys, this is this doesn't have to be like this. Just <laughs> sort of take a moment, have a deep breath. We're OK. It's going to be fine. But I don't I don't I don't know how you coach that out of a out of a team when when the confidence just seems to rush from there from from them. Yeah. Um, that's really, really difficult. I wish I knew as well. I wish I knew too. <laughs> but it is definitely, it's definitely a, a problem for us. But look, cometh the hour, cometh the man. Now, in fairness, it was the 97th hour of yeah. this season. But Willian finally scored a goal for Arsenal. Um, well, that's it now. We can. He's 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 stuck it up all of us. He's proved us all wrong. Mm. Um, I mean, I, it does it does make me laugh that he is the midfielder. He's actually the player with the most um, Premier League assists for Arsenal this season. 
And Look, now he's uh, adding goals to his game. Yeah, I, I think it's the perfect illustration of how stats, while extremely useful, do not tell you the, the, the full story. Um, mm. Look, good free kick. There was some good really really good um, NFL-style blocking by Lacazette and El Nenny, who basically mm. pulled guys out of the way. Um for Willian to, to fire into the top corner. Keeper, not great, you would have to say. But, uh, look, take nothing away from the goal itself. Uh, it's probably quite apt that he finally scored in a game which matters as little as this one does in the grand scheme of things at a point in the season where we've nothing left to play for beyond a little bit of pride. It's May and he scored his first goal for the club. Uh, you know, I would, even the, the most staunch defenders of Willian would surely say, you know, that's way below the expectations that people had when he signed. Um, you know, I think there were always concerns about the length of the deal, but I don't think, and I, I would hold my hands up and, and say this myself, I did not expect it to be this bad. Yeah. No, sure. I don't think it was. Well, nobody expected it to be this this bad. Um, I mean, I know Chelsea fans who were chuckling when we signed him um, because he, he'd never been the most popular player at Stamford Bridge. He was a guy who could get onto a little run and could make the difference occasionally, but you quite often have periods where he just wasn't around. You know, he just didn't do it. And mm. um I think the biggest frustration this season with him has been the body language, you know, from, from the get go, Mm. he's looked as if he was carrying the world on his shoulders that he wasn't enjoying himself, that he didn't seem happy or comfortable with what he was being asked to do. And you think, okay, fine. If you're a young player or you're, you're new to a club and you're coming from somewhere else and all the rest of it, but this, you know, having been in the premier league for so long, coming in as a senior established individual, um, with the club having made a very big financial commitment, um, having been lured in by Edu, with whom you already have a working relationship from the national team. Like there were so many things there which Mm. made you think, come on, mate, you can turn this around for yourself. And he kind of allowed the situation to to get on top of him. And, you know, I'm sure I I have no idea what's going on in the background with him. And it's, it's always a shame when you see a player struggling as badly as he has. But I don't think there's been a player in the last decade who has struggled as much with a move as much as he has at Arsenal. Like, I mean, it has been absolutely appalling and Mm. watch him. I mean, the the other day against Villarreal when he came on, um, this sort of sense that he just sort of runs away from the game, almost like you, you, you put a player on, but you actually lose a player. Yeah. The process and it's been like that so often and I I feel for him because he must know, he must know it you know he goes on the pitch and he must know that he's like oh my god what am I going to do here um, I, a penny for Arteta's thoughts off the back of yesterday watching him finally do it in a game where it's just too little too late um, he must be tearing his hair out yeah beautiful beautiful hair well um, if he's left with bald tufty patches because of his persistence with Willian this season it's no less than, than he deserves uh, frankly you know look sometimes uh, a move just doesn't work out for a player it's the wrong club the wrong player at the wrong time and I think all of those boxes have been ticked when it comes to Willian um, you know I mean, do you have any faith that we might uh, go our separate ways this summer. Well, look, Arteta spoke, didn't he, you know, uh, about the need to be ruthless this summer. 
literally that's what he said and they're brave words because you could you could very easily make the argument that the most ruthless thing this football club could do based on the season that we've had is change their manager so you know for a manager to 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 say that out loud about what needs to be done this summer when he could very well be put in that category you know where you stand on the line between that being brave or or foolish is is up to you but like if he's true to his word Ruthless means no more Willian. Genuinely. Like, you could you could not tell me that if Reese Nelson had played the same amount of minutes as Willian this season, it would have been much worse. And at the very worst, you've got a player who's got a load more Premier League minutes that you decide, right, he's not quite what we want. We'll sell him on to a you know, a Bournemouth or whoever the hell is getting promoted uh, and you, you, you reap in some money, mm. you know? So I think all in all, this is, this is one of those decisions that when they, they obviously had an idea for him because he was experienced, because he was in inverted commas free, he was available. They thought he would be able to come in, work alongside experienced players like Lacazette, like Pepe, like Aubameyang, contribute without having to settle into a new country, new club, you know, all of that kind of stuff that sometimes a a younger player has to contend with. So that was their plan. But they have to go back and they have to think about, you know, which of their plans actually worked and which didn't. And this is one of those plans where they can say, we gave it every single chance, every possible chance for it to work. Like, Willian can't complain about the amount of chances he was given. Arteta can't complain about the the um, the amount he was allowed or he allowed himself to play Willian. You know, he can't look on it with regret and say, well, maybe if I'd just given him a bit more playing time. So if you're being ruthless, you go back and you say, we had an idea. That idea didn't work. This player is not the right player for this football club. Let's move on. As difficult as it is, as hard as it is when you've got a guy on the money he's on with two years left on his contract, which is insane when you say it out loud, but that's where they need to demonstrate that they're they're actually um, true to their word, if, if that's the right way of putting it, that they are going to do what they say they're going to do. That's what ruthless is. I mean, the, the, the problem with using a term like ruthless is that when you look at our squad now... Yeah, it's not all in your hands, the, is it? The, the, the guillotine is hanging over 75% of them, really. Um, you just... You, and and, and we, we've got so many players who've underperformed this season and, and so many bits that aren't quite fitting mm. that... Um, w- and it's going to be it's going to be so difficult to have a massive overhaul in the circumstances that we now find ourselves in. Now, some of that is our own doing, obviously, mismanagement over the years, the types of contracts we've handed out to mm. people, all the rest of it. But the fact is, our status is diminishing year on year at the moment. And as a an attractive place to go and play your football without European football mm. we are a rung down so how do you uh, how do you bring in yeah. better players 
while offering a worse environment for them to operate in. I think that is going to be such a big question for us to answer this season. And I don't know that you can just throw money at it because sometimes I think as soon as the guys get the checkbook out, they think, well, maybe if we just throw the money at it, that will solve the problem. We've realised that just throwing money at situations isn't the solution. Mm. That quite often is part of the problem. It just deepens our situation. We end up with another Willian. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, but that's on the executives, not so much the, the, the players, I think, the executives yeah. and the manager. All right, well, look, they have plenty to do um, to sort that out. Um, we did have a, a few comments about Sam Allardyce and, and um, <laughs> you know, the fact that, like, I have no particular beef or issue with, with West Brom, but... Uh, you know, the cruciate blog, for example, at cruciate blog says, as shit as the season has been, we ended up relegating Sam Allardyce. Uh, my question is, is there a coach or a manager not associated with Spurs that you would wish a similar fate on? And look, like I said, I've got no particular beef with West Brom, but there is something satisfying about relegating a Sam Allardyce team because I remember, I don't forget all the things that happened down the years with Sam Allardyce and watching him sit there on the sidelines. Like, I, it, it's, it's genuinely one of the worst sights in football. The TV camera close-up of Sam Allardyce chewing the cud like some kind of, I don't know, fucking football manager cow. It just... Big fucking sea cow looking fucker on the sideline there. I just cannot. It's it turns my stomach. So I'm glad that uh, we got him relegated. That you know I enjoyed the goals that we scored yesterday, and I enjoyed the uh, you know the performances of Saka and Smith Rowe. I think those are the real positives. But you know a little bit of icing on the cake is the, the relegation of Allardyce. Yeah, I think if there's a frustration, it's the fact that I don't think Allardyce's heart was ever really in this. Yeah, West I don't Brom think he gave a fuck. Project. Really, did he, you <laughs> he, kind of, he sat on the bench, and I know he was probably a little bit miffed. But you watched him afterwards talking about it. He was just like, you know, this has been done since the get go. I just came to renew, uh, you yeah. know, renew my relationship. I'm out of here anyway. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm exactly. out of here in the summer. Who cares? Um, you know, it would have been lovely to relegate one of his kind of uh, Bolton or Blackburn sides of the past, that's mm. for sure. But no, I mean, yeah, you take your wins where you can get them, right? Exactly. All right. And we got a win yesterday, 3-1 over West Brom. We've three games left to play in the Premier League this season. Uh, uh, Chelsea on Wednesday. So that's going to be an interesting one. But for now, we will take a little break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter today at A. Allen Sport and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Andrew, as you're a, uh, a, a guest as such today, I feel it would be only polite to give you the honor of the first question. So fire Thank away. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, so this one is from Mike Catamol at Catters61, and he says, which players do you believe have flourished under Arteta? <laughs> William? No, um, flourished is such an interesting word, isn't it? Because, yeah, um, I think Saka. Yeah. I think Smith Rowe. Yeah. He's going to struggle now, aren't you? Yeah. Beyond that, flourish is like, you know, there's such weight to that word. Have there been players who've been okay? Yeah, I guess so, but... Who do you think's improved the most under Arteta? Mm. I think someone like Rob Holding has done quite well. I think he... In a limited way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kieran Tierney, maybe. Um... I mean, there's a lot who've been stagnant and a couple who've gone backwards, I think. Yes. Um, But, I mean, I think, unfortunately, for Arteta, the fact that we're struggling to get past two or three names, that is not great. I think we could easily forget the fact that this club was absolutely abject at trying to play out from the back, for example. And I think, collectively, they have improved that, even though they do make some stupid mistakes. I can see a structure to the play but I do think it's maybe a bit too structured. But when it comes to actual individuals improving their game, I think so many of them have been trying to learn something completely new that they've had to park what they were good at to try and catch up in other areas. And as a consequence, it's muddled their thinking a little bit on the pitch and they've not got better. That's true. I mean, look, individually, it's hard to make the case that too many players have been at the level that we want them to be at or expected them to be at, but also collectively the team. Like, sometimes an individual can stand out in a bad team. You know what I mean? But sometimes individuals can be suffocated by the collective instruction. And I do think that's an issue. I think we saw that particularly in the Villarreal game where, where, you know, in a match where we really needed to go for it, we couldn't. The players yeah. couldn't individually and collectively they couldn't and Arteta couldn't get that out of them. So, yeah, that that is that is a, a really interesting question. When you when you lay it out bare like that, I mean, nobody beyond those and why you, what, why have they been good? Is because they're young. Yeah, what not, do you well, think? Not to just Sha- because Come on, anyway. what do you think to Shaka? I mean, he's a potential, I think, maybe. I mean, part of his game is... Flourish, I would, you know, again, flourish is not a word I would use to mm. to describe that. But what I think Xhaka has done beyond his, like, little moments of, of madness, you know, the two against Burnley, uh, you know, the sending off and the, the, the stupid cross into... What was his name? Chris Woods. Yeah. The beyond... Yeah. Beyond that, 
I think he has, you could make a case that he has been one of our most consistent performers. Um, you know, he's been professional. He's done a job when he's been asked to do it. He hasn't complained. I think he has demonstrated why all the managers picked him. Finger picked him. Emery picked him. Arteta picks him. You know, he's that kind of a player. But then I also think if that's where the bar is, it, it says a lot about everything else, you know? Yeah. I think Granit Xhaka's value has probably increased given where he was when Arteta came in mm. off off the back of obviously very becoming very close to that Bayer Leverkusen uh, move and all that was it Bayer Leverkusen I can't even remember um, Bayer Leverkusen move you know off the back of the big argument with the Arsenal fans so I think his his value is probably Hurt to Berlin was it Hurt to Berlin yeah. sorry I'm going mad um, yeah I think his value is probably uh, yeah we had a, I mean, that, that leads us on to this question. We had a number of questions like this, and I know this is just pure podcast fluffery because the reality is, you know, uh, you can only make so many changes during, uh, during an off-season, and particularly one where you're going to be restricted by finances, as you say, the, the, the stature of the club. Um, without Europe, we're not such an attractive destination. There are going to be players who we would very much like to get rid of who maybe we can't. For all kinds of reasons, you know, the length of their deals, their wages, their their refusal to move or anything like it. But but Rian, who's at Rian Vacha, says, can you please do a stay or go for the entire first team squad, both what you want to happen and what you think will happen? And look, it's so hard to predict. So I'm not going to say what we think will happen, but let's go through the squad and categorize them as must stay must go or you just don't care what happens to them one way or the other, right? Yep. Okay. Burned Leno. Don't care. Alex Runers. I'll also say don't care with, with Leno. I would lean towards stay because... Yeah. Um, but I don't think he wants to <laughs> based on his comments from a few weeks ago. So if we're looking to rebuild things, if he goes, I don't really mind. Uh, Alex Runerson. Uh, thank you for your interest in our affairs. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Matt Ryan. Stay. One less thing to worry about. Yeah. Number two goalkeeper. Yeah. Hector Bellerin. Don't care. Yeah, I don't think it's a... Mo- I, say, I say that with the, like, I, I want Hector Bellerin, the man, to stay. I'm not so worried about Hector Bellerin, the right back at this point. Yeah, I, I think he's in the... He's got one foot in the must-go side of things because, look, a relationship between a player and a club can come to an end in a number of ways. But I just think it's now, it's kind of stale, isn't it? You know, he's not Mm. the player we thought he was going to be. So I think he needs to go. Uh, Kieran Tierney. Uh, Must stay. Must stay. Gabriel. Must stay, just... I would say must stay as well. He's 22. Yeah. Hasn't been 100% convincing, but, you know, this is how you rebuild. You rebuild with the guys of his age profile and and everything else. So I think he must stay. Rob Holding. I'm going to say must stay as a a sort of backup centre-back, I think. Mm. Nothing more than that. But I just, I mean, I'm, I'm... 
partly I'm looking at the list and I'm like, fuck, I can't just say they all have to go. So no, I mean that's why I'm saying this yeah. is co- complete podcast fluffery. <laughs> yeah, like you yeah, know, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's not realistic. But it is kind of like if if they were to sell Rob Holding tomorrow, would you really would you be gutted? No, I'd take the ten million and be like, yeah, okay, fine. Take a bit more than that, Cedric. Uh, yeah, go. Chambers, Callum Chambers, got a year left on his deal. Well, it's squeaky bum time now, isn't it? We either offer him a new deal or he'll he'll walk away for free. Can't let that happen. Can't let that happen. We're a club which is no European football. We cannot let any player in this squad see out their deal and go for free. So we either roll the dice on a new deal for Callum Chambers or he must go. I think hmm, must go. Reinvest. Pablo Marie. Keep. Yeah, I would, yeah, back up. Like, he's not our biggest problem. We do need some squad depth. Um, But, like, if we sold him tomorrow, I wouldn't be unhappy. Uh, David Luiz. Time's up. Time's up indeed. Bukayo Saka. Keep, obviously. Danny Ceballos, he's gone anyway. We're not going to... Gone. Yeah, Martin Odegaard. Would love to. But don't think it's going to happen. Don't think it's going to happen. Thomas Partey. Oh, I mean... (laughs) He's our 50 million signing from last summer. I've been so underwhelmed by him this season. Willian has been a massive disappointment, but Partey has been hugely disappointed he has to hugely improve in my eyes I mean I just look at him and I think very sellable asset could be reinvested but I mean keep keep him he is capable get of better be- get better get better Thomas yeah uh, Mohamed El Nenny uh, uh, as much as I love Mo uh, no time to go he's got a year left on his contract away yeah. you go we're not giving him a new deal Got to get the money in from whoever. Uh, Emile Smith-Rowe. Absolutely keep. Yeah. Granite Xhaka. Oh, keep. I mean, can you believe that? Me saying keep Xhaka, but waver over a uh, party. <laughs> what have I become? What have you? You're going to become the uh, subject of Twitter anger. That's what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Look, uh, again, he's one of those that if we decided to roll the dice on, but there is so much to do in midfield. I've got another question about that, so we'll come to it. But I can understand why you're leaning towards keep rather than must go. Uh, Alexandra Lacazette. Uh, goodbye. Cheerio, exactly. Year left on his deal. Get the money, reinvest. Willian. I mean, yeah, if we could just get in the time machine and just go back and chop just off. Just never do Edu's it. Edu's hands or something, yeah. Never uh, do it. No, yeah, no cool. thank you. Uh, Aubameyang. Uh, keep. Keep, 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 keep. Uh, Nicolas Pepe. Uh, keep. Reese Nelson. Goodbye. Eddie Nketiah. Goodbye. And Gabrielle Martinelli. Keep. Okay. We do have some, obviously, lone players as well that we, we need to go through. Oh, William yeah. Saliba. Uh, yeah, keep, I guess. Keep, keep, keep. Look, if we're trying to rebuild 
uh, a young central defender with his qualities and attributes is what you're looking for in the market. We've already got him, so make it work. Keep and make it work. Say Kolasinac. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. I forgot he was still around. Yeah, uh, goodbye. Yeah. yeah, and he's not going to be joining uh, Schalke, given they got relegated. Mm. Uh, Mavropanos. Dinos Mavropanos. Uh, good, good, goodbye. Let Sven have his man. Yeah, I think that's probably what's going to happen. I might be inclined to to keep, simply because the other options we have at central defence for our backup central defender are not sufficiently great that you could just write him off. Mm. So I might be inclined to, to keep him. And I think if Sven is interested in him, he seems to have had a good season. Uh, I, I would, I would lean towards keep for me. Um, but there you go. Interesting. Uh, Lucas Torreira. Oh, let the little man free. Yeah, he's got to go. I looked at his uh, Instagram last night. It was a bit heartbreaking. Yeah, it was very yeah. sad. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Mm, uh, goodbye. Joe, Take the money. Joe Willock. Oh, keep, much to the <clears throat> frustration of all the Newcastle fans who've fallen in love with him. Mm, I have a question about Joe now uh, in a second. Um, I would keep Joe Willock. Matteo Genduzzi. Uh, as much as I'd love to think that becoming a father over the weekend has completely changed his life, goodbye. Yeah, you're left on his deal. Got to do the thing. You can't be, you know, you just can't. Nobody can leave for free. That's the reality. And those those financial implications make some of the decisions a little bit easy. Um, here, here's the question from, uh, let me have a look here. It's from the Discord. It comes from... Arsenal FCTX says Willock has now scored against Spurs, Liverpool and Leicester. So the skill and instinct is there. Why can't he do that at Arsenal? Is that a failing of where he's played, his teammates around him or the manager? And should we keep him or sell him now that he's proved he can score in clutch situations? And just to sort of follow up on that, also on the Discord, Speckled Jim says, with Ceballos going back, and given that we're looking to move Genduzi and Torreira on, with El Nenny continuing to El Nenny, we've already discussed the fact that he's got a year left on his deal and probably needs to go. How many central midfielders do we need this summer? Two? Three? Uh, so we're assuming, I guess, that Thomas Partey is staying, despite your <laughs> wicked campaign to move him on and get rid of him. Uh, and Granishaka is going to stay... There is talk of uh, interest in the Brighton dude, isn't there, Basuma? Um, yeah, yeah. How realistic or, or how concrete that is, I don't know. But how many central midfielders do we need? How many central midfielders can we afford? And are we going to have to look at the likes of Joe Willock, of maybe Emil Smith-Rowe, and even perhaps Ainsley Maitland-Niles, providing the squad depth next season based on the fact that they've been on loan, they've played and developed a little bit at West Brom and at Newcastle. I mean, are we going to have to cut our cloth a little bit? Like, we're not going to be able to go out and buy two or three central midfield players. No. I mean, we, we are staring down the barrel of fewer games, so mm. I'm less worried about sort of having to have four central midfield players I think you could probably get away with three in some kind of versatile auxiliary sort of guy I guess 
Um, but you're basically banking on party Xhaka being fit. And then, you know, if we go and bring in a Basuma-like figure, that's three. And then mm. you, you, you've got some versatility from other players there. I think, um, you know, we you could see that he might want to drop in a Saka or a Smith-Rowe in a deeper position, potentially. I think Willock definitely brings you something. Dare I say old Callum Chambers, if he's retained, you know, has experience in midfield. I'm not saying that that's an answer in any way, shape or form. I want to make that very clear. Um, I think I think three slash four, but probably you could get away next season with three anchoring mm. midfielders. Yeah. I think the Willock thing is interesting. I mean, as to why he hasn't scored for Arsenal, he has. I mean, he does score. I know a lot of his goals have come in the Europa League and in the Cups, and he doesn't really do it in the Premier League. I think the difference is at Newcastle, he was a bit of a Hail Mary sub in some of those games, wasn't he? It was yeah, like, exactly. go on, he Joe. Was. Yeah, just get in there and get into positions. And I, I do think, I do think there's something interesting about this player, about his ability to be in goal-scoring positions. It's something that he has demonstrated since he made the the breakthrough at Arsenal. Um, he, he has this ability to get into the box at the right time and be in the right position to, to tuck goals away. Um, for a team that doesn't score a lot of goals from central midfield, I think those could be useful qualities next season. I'm not saying Joe Willock is going to be the, the starter or, or anything like that. Um, but if it's if you're looking for somebody to come on and change a game and and maybe just change the dynamic of a game in terms of how they play and where they might end up he does have something that that none of the other central midfield options at this club have like Nduzi ain't going to do it Torreira is not going to do it Maitland Niles has got some lovely skills but but he is more the guy you know He's not going to score goals for you, I don't think. I mean, he's scored one or two in his time. But but really, uh, you know, we haven't seen anything that suggests he's going to be a guy who can score goals from central midfield. And like you say, we do have fewer fixtures. So uh, maybe the squad doesn't I, need to be that deep. I mean, the, look, I, I really like what Willett brings to the pitch. I think he, he sniffs out a goal. He knows... He's, he wants to score goals. I think he knows that that's a very fundamental part of the, the you know, his role as a, as a player, you know, is to make a difference. And the, the the problem we have, I guess, is the fact that Joe Willock has gone on loan, scored a few goals, his profile has raised. We are a club that are going to be in dire need of financial aid this summer. And mm. there's a fairly high chance that if Newcastle turn around and offer us 20 million for Joe Willock, you're yeah. going to be inclined to take it, right? For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that will then fund potentially the, the the bones of a deal for another midfielder who may or may not be more experienced, mm. or, you know, maybe maybe fit Arteta's plan a little bit more. But I'd be sad. I'd be sad to see Joe go because I genuinely think that there's a Premier League level player in there. Do I think he's a top four Premier League player? I don't know. Maybe are, not. But then we we're not there four? as a club. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. You know, that's and the, that's there's the, the chicken and egg situation as well, and that people will say, well, you know, we're not a top four club. How are we ever going to get there if we don't play players who are capable of that? But maybe you need to play some players who can get you closer to that before you start improving your squad, mm. um, et cetera. Mm. So, and I think you're right. You know, we went through the squad there, but I genuinely think there are only there are only three or four players in, in the entire squad who are completely untouchable. There was a question from... Bum, bum, bum. Um, where is it here? Uh, 
Simen, who's at Sekepi, Sekepipa uh, on Twitter, who says, uh, Goodly morning, heartbreaking dilemma. Would you consider selling the likes of Saka and or Tierney for big money if, allowed us, if it allowed us to do a proper rebuild? And my gut instinct, of course, is no, because I don't know how you improve by selling your best players. Uh, I know there's an argument to be made that, like, if you got a hundred million offer for a player and you could then bring in four or five players of, of sufficient quality to improve you overall, that is something that you have to consider. But there really are only three or four players in this entire squad who are who are untouchable. And that if offers came in for everybody or anybody else, you would have to give them serious consideration. Yeah, I also think the other thing with selling one of these players and in, in handing 150 million quid, let's say, to Edu is, do I trust Edu to go and spend that money wisely? <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that I do. So I, I think you're better off putting your money on the players that you have mm. who are good and keeping them and, and hoping that they can drag you to the next level. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd want to take big money for Saka. Into, I just think from a collective confidence point of view what kind of a message would that send out right now and I think the fans are in a pretty bad state I think you go taking away players that you've just managed to tie down to deals and stuff it would get pretty messy yeah 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 whereas I think you know as a fan base we could tolerate the sale of pretty much everyone after a season like this if you if you cash in on one of your best assets um you know, there'd be no, even with the justification that we, we can take this money and we can reinvest, there'd just be no way that that would fly. And people might not believe it either. You know, given the I mean, way that the club has operated, if they were to sell one of the best players and, you know, dress it up as, well, we're going to do it so we can reinvest in the squad, un- until that money was actually reinvested in the squad, you would you would only think it was a... Uh, a revenue generating uh, decision to offset some of the losses that we've made by the bean counters at the top, you know? It would, it would, I mean, nothing would surprise me with this ownership given the Super League decision, yeah. but it would be a cock up on that, you know, <laughs> that kind of level, I would, I would imagine, yeah. in terms of a PR kind of uh, play, mm. it would go down very, 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 very badly. Sure would. Um, so I don't expect it. Um, Shall I, shall I go with a question? Yeah, please. So I've got one from at Ratten Postwaller. Um, he said, One positives of Arteta's reign is the vast improvement in how we defend as a team. We've never really been drubbed in scoreline terms. I like that. And many goals have been conceded due to silly, avoidable individual errors by four flawed players, not because of the system. Do you agree? I agree. Have we improved vastly on the defensive front? I mean, we have improved. It's, it's that's a really interesting one because I guess that's right. We haven't been drubbed. He says, clenching his buttocks, knowing that we're playing <laughs> Chelsea on Wednesday, <laughs> and these might appear like famous last words. I suppose that is true. Nevertheless, when you fail to keep a clean sheet as often as we do, can you really say you've improved a huge amount defensively? Like some of the goals we've conceded this season have just been ridiculous. Ridiculous. So it's hard to to say there has been an improvement defensively when you're still capable at any moment. Like, do you feel 
defensively secure when you watch this Arsenal team. Because I, I feel like we can concede at any moment in any given way. Like, I don't think it takes a lot to score against us. And that, to me, would be an indicator of improvement. If it's hard to score against a team, then you would say that's a, that's a defensively secure slash improved team. So I see that I see what he's saying, but I don't feel like we're defensively great. So, so this season there are three sides that have conceded fewer goals than us: Chelsea, Manchester United, Is that and it? Man- Manchester City. Is that it? Um, that's it. I mean, it's it's close with Liverpool, but we've conceded thirty-eight goals this season. Um, City have conceded twenty-six, United thirty-six, Chelsea thirty-two. Obviously, it's a weird season yeah um last season we conceded in total 48 so assuming we don't get absolutely bollocked on by everybody in the next (laughs) three games we could beat that i think the difference this season is well the difference over the course of the last few seasons when we concede now it feels like that could be the end of a game like we may not score and that has been the massive issue okay yeah so are the perceptions of our defensive issues because we do have some you oh, know yeah, even absolutely. if you do that that's really interesting that record so our our perception of our defensive issues is very much colored by the inability to create chances and score goals so our our, our defensive errors feel worse because we don't get as many chances as other teams to offset them by scoring the kind of or the, the the amount of goals that we need to score, like where are we on the the goals scored list in Premier League terms? Oh, I mean we've scored forty nine goals. So let me just have a little look. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight teams that have scored more than us. One that's on the same as us, and that's Villa. Right. So we're basically trending about where we are in the league table mm. on that front. And our goal difference at the moment is plus, plus 11. 11. I think it's reached double figures for the first time this season. Um, last year, we finished with a, a, a plus eight. I, I, fe- I feel defensively that we are, by and large, we are more solid from set-piece situations. Yeah, I think that's true. We are... We are better at avoiding those mad transition goals obviously it happened last night you know Pereira just ran straight through the middle of us but there was a point when Arteta came in after Lundberg and Emery where games were just um, chaotic there were no rules yeah there was it was chaos and you always expected we'd get caught on the break but it has come at the expense of our ability to play with more freedom it feels like Maybe we're not committing as many men forward in certain situations, um, but we, yeah, we're just we're not scoring. We're not scoring enough goals to to make the the improvements on the defence shine through. Mm. That is, yeah. I mean, I think that is where the big improvement has to come: chance creation, the number of chances, the number of shots, and the number of goals. Um, I'd love to. I mean, I haven't got them in front of me, but you know, when you lose thirteen games out of thirty-five. Yeah. which is a terrible record, one which we haven't matched in years and years and years. 
that for our for our defence to have improved a little bit. I mean that that's just a very weird kind of yeah. It's a weird thing to tally up, isn't it, alongside each other? Yeah. Uh, um, clean sheets this season. Ten. We're in eighth position in the Premier League. Chelsea top with eighteen. So I mean, Chelsea have been on a remarkable run since Tuchel came in. I mean, their defence was all over the place under Lampard. Um, so what he's done with the same players mm. at his disposal is incredible. I think part of that has been making sure that Conte is playing in his best position, um, doing what he does so well, which is sort of sweep up for everybody. This, this playing players in their best position thing. It's a remarkable, a remarkable kind of people. managerial what are insight. What they doing? That, we're also ninth for shots in the Premier League. Oh. So there are thereabouts, you know, 432 shots we've taken, which seems about 400 more than I can remember anyway. If, um, if, you, take, if you take 30 or 40 of those away from Thomas Partey and Rose Ed, I'm sure it puts a slightly... This is really... I'm going to be in so much trouble with the Thomas Partey brigade off the back of this. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. him. I do love him. He's a nice guy. Um... So yeah, I, I I mean, I do agree that we've improved mm. defensively, but I, 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 Arteta has said he can't coach individual errors out of players, um, and I kind of am inclined to agree with him on that front. But you can grow mm. a team's collective confidence to the point where players don't freak out when they're on the pitch. Yeah, or you know, you you. You, you get the, you, the 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 level of player that you have improves. You know, not not every player or every player can make a mistake. We know that. That's it's just the frequency with which we do them. So, uh, whether you, if you can't coach those out of a player, then you know you need to replace the player. Here's a question from the Discord from Stickers, who says Arteta said he can't disclose the reasons for the decline of the club. What do you think he's talking about? Here's the quote. Asked why that trend was occurring, Arteta replied, there are things uh, to analyse more internally. We have done that. There are things that we cannot discuss here. So what do you reckon he was talking about there? This was a quote from from last week, I think, or maybe yeah, after yeah. the Villarreal game. I mean, he's, he's, he's being asked in a press conference-esque environment what he puts the club's decline, you know, down to. And I think that's a very hard thing for you to... I mean, he can't really go calling out predecessors, especially when one of them was his former manager, Arsene mm. Wenger. He spent, you know, a week saying nice things about Unai Emery, so he was hardly going to call him out. But I think for Arteta, he obviously feels that it was a cultural thing behind the scenes where things had slipped. And, um, you know, some of the decision-making... Um, at maybe executive level, um, mm. maybe on the scouting front. I don't. Uh, maybe on the decision to award big contracts to people. Uh, I mean, there are numerous areas where you could kind of pull things apart there. But I think, to be honest, he was just slightly defensive. You know, I think he he he, he didn't really want to answer that question, and it was more a case mm. of. I'm not going to talk about this in public right now. I've had three hours sleep. We've just gone out of the Europa League, you know, fuck yeah. off, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we all can see that a lot of things have happened at the football club in the last few years. You know, not just... Mm. There's a, there's, there are 
myriad reasons why we are where we are right now. And Arteta is culpable for some of them. And, and what's come before him is a part of that. What came before, what came before is a part of that. You know, I don't think we were helped by, by the way the, the immediate post-Wenger thing just fell apart and was... Yeah, that that was really... We went from a very unhealthy situation to something we thought might be healthy, a structure we thought might be good, you know, uh, robust, that would stand up to some scrutiny, but that fell apart as well. And I think there was a level of instability there which, you know, has, has contributed. None of which, of course, is a, de- a defense for losing 13 games in a Premier League season uh, under Mikel Arteta or going out of Europe the way that we did under Mikel Arteta. But, you know, it is impossible not to look at everything that's happened in the last number of years um, to see where we are. I mean, we've got to, at some point, hit a rock bottom. And the only thing you can hope of is that this is, and this season is the rock bottom, and that it gets better from here. I, I, I think you, you, would, you would hope, given how many young people are in important positions within the club structure, whether that be Arteta himself, Vinay, Edu, uh, even Per Mertesacker, that the experience they are gaining along the way will stand them in better stead when they come across mm. further issues. Because it really has worried me that so many of them are learning on the job. Yeah. And as much as I appreciate they are talented individuals, experience does count for something. And if you don't have those people just around you to lean on, to help make those decisions, um, you're very, very exposed. Mm. Um, I can't help but think, let's say, for example, with the Super League stuff, that Vinny Van Kateshim knew from the outset that this was going to be a terrible, terrible idea, but he didn't have enough other people around him maybe to help persuade the owners who, um, when they brought the decision, kind of weren't going to change their mind. Um, mm. Yeah, I... I the, 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 uh, we don't know what this Richard Garlic guy is going to bring to the table. We don't have a huge idea about what Tim Lewis does on a day-to-day basis. Um, uh, I, you know, there was briefly talk about adding a, a football person to the board at one point, and that kind of disappeared. Well, I, the, yeah, I think uh, that's what Richard Garlic is. He's like the the post Sanyehi, post Husfami mm-hmm. appointment that needed to be brought in to to take up some of the slack. You know, there is so much to do this summer, you know, on the pitch, off the pitch, that that the idea of it just being the the responsibility of Arteta and Edu, whether you believe that they're capable of doing the job, we the, the work we need to do as effectively as we need to do it, mm-hmm. you know, I think Richard Garlick is, is supposedly that guy who comes with experience at, at West Brom, of course, and experience with the Premier League and, you know, is a... Um, despite his law qualifications, is basically a football guy. So there is that coming in. Now, how effective it's going to be, we'll have to wait and see. But there is a there is um, stuff being done to fill that gap a little bit. Whether it's too late, I don't know, but it is coming. So Yeah, I mean, we've we've just been in a sort of state of flux for so many years. You know, we're making so many changes or as many changes as we can possibly make within the confines of the time of a transfer window and the practicalities given the circumstances. You know, we've just gone through the squad and we're like, 
75% of them we'd probably say yeah. goodbye if we could and, yeah. and Arteta would probably be like yeah you know maybe I would if I thought I could but this ju- it's just not practical to do that you mm. actually cannot get rid of that many players and bring that many you know new players into a team in the time you need before the season starts and suddenly you know Arteta can't go into the season having not done the work he needs to do to the squad because he's probably going to be skating onto thin ice anyway if he has a bad start after two months September October I could easily see him being under huge huge pressure and it wouldn't be a very hard decision I don't think for the Cronkies to make because he's not been given a new deal so his own future is sort of you know there is a line in the sand on the horizon already yeah um yeah I I, I yeah, it's it's going to be complicated. A very complicated summer. Yeah. Busy summer as well for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, I seem to say that every summer. Um, but... Um, should we change direction? I have another question. Yeah, why not? It's a slightly more positive one-ish. Um, at Benjamin Everest on Twitter says, Good evening. I can't stop looking at that four-point gap to a rather fragile Spurs team. Would beating them go some way to improving our season? Also, on that note, would you rather a season fully out of Europe or that we scrape into the Europa Conference League? Um, Gap on Spurs is four points at the moment. That would be good. Like like you said earlier, you take your wins where you could get them. If after one of our worst seasons of all time, we still manage to finish above Spurs, look, it's nothing to write home about, but you'd take it, wouldn't you? Just for the... Yeah. just for the positivity of something from this season. As for the UEFA Conference League, I've got no idea what format this um, this tournament has. So I'm going to look it up. I think it's basically the Europa League. The Europa League is becoming smaller. And, right. Well, the group stage of the Europa League is becoming smaller. The third tier of European club football after the Champions League and the Europa League. The, the competition is scheduled to run from 21-22. will serve as the bottom level, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the bottom level of the existing UEFA Europa League competition, which is due to be reduced from 48 teams to 32 teams. The competition will be primarily contested by teams from lower-ranked <laughs> UEFA member <laughs> associations. No teams will qualify directly to the group stage, with 10 teams eliminated in, in the Europa League playoffs and the rest coming from the Europa Conference league qualifiers the winners of the competition are awarded a position in the Europa League the following season unless they so all you can do is win this to get entry to next season's Europa League yeah oh fuck that um I don't know from a financial point of view what playing in the Europa Conference League is going to do because the games are going to fall on the same evening as the Europa League. So I guess what, t- what people- TV channel will they be on? Like fucking <sighs> yeah, exactly. Dave I mean- or UK Gold or something like that. <laughs> I because I, I mean the way that they that they obviously don't like matches overlapping. Um, UEFA so- three o'clock kickoffs on a Thursday well, exactly, afternoon. You're going to get. You're gonna you're gonna be kind of sitting at work every Thursday, kind of tuning in to watch Arsenal playing, you know, a third division side from Slovakia or something. And you know, with the greatest respect, I don't think any of us can be asked with that. Um, yeah, it's gonna be um, the only positive I see coming: potential financial um, benefits. So some millions of pounds, whether that be broadcast match day, right? Mm. 
the other opportunity is to play some players who are from the next generation. And I do fear for the academy kids coming through because, you know, next season's FA Cup is going to be very important because by that point, Mm. Well, it's a it's a domestic cup competition. We're going to probably put a lot of emphasis on playing a half decent team in the Carabao Cup because, again, it's a chance to qualify for the Europa League. You know, we, Arteta isn't going to have much room to experiment and play mm. young kids and give them give them room to to express themselves on the pitch. And it's vital that they get that opportunity. So, I see the positives being the Conference League could potentially be a, a breeding ground for the next generation. Honestly to make up the gap because it's not just making up the gap on Spurs we also have to take over one of Everton Liverpool and West Ham uh, the odds are so mm. stacked against us this is this is not going to happen well um, yeah so I mean here we had a similar kind of question from Duncan Oglescan who's at Duncan Oglescan on Twitter he says could having fewer games actually help the younger players development staying fit staying focused on fewer competitions betting into a more regular team setup this is the wafer thin silver lining question and just sort of broadening it out if you are only playing once a week is that or can it be an advantage when you're competing with other clubs who have midweek football to deal with, with fatigue, with injuries and those kind of things, whereas you have all week to work on the training ground on the much less complicated and suffocating routines that Mikel Arteta will be putting in place next season, the simple, uh, expansive, flowing football, which doesn't require players to have a PhD in in Artetaology to understand, so they just end up passing the ball backwards. You know, is that the silver lining of no European football at all next season? You, whether it sounds ridiculous or not, have some advantage in Premier League terms if you're a club of the supposed stature of Arsenal with some of the players that we still have available to us. I I, I don't I don't think Arteta is going to be approaching next season if he has no European football with the idea of like some big squad and lots of rotation and everybody being fresh for big. I think you go in with the attitude of this is my best 15, 16 players who are mm. going to be in the squad every week. And then you've got a group who are battling to be the last, you know, whatever it is, five on the bench. Um, I don't I, I, of the next guys coming through I think we could probably safely say that Balogun is in with a shot of playing first team football next season or at least being given some opportunities starting in pre-season yeah. and then you've got maybe what Miguel Aziz um, who's managed to get some minutes under his belt this season but outside yeah. of that there aren't that many other players who've had much of a shot a couple of goalkeepers have been on the bench um a couple of other sort of kids, but they're not they're not sort of within touching distance. Yeah, no one's team, really so. hammering the door down in the way that no. like Saka, Smith Rowe, etc. Have and you know maybe something will come out of preseason. I mean that's where Smith Rowe just kind of started to shine, isn't it, under Emery? So you never know. You might get a youngster who kind of comes through against the odds. But I'm not I'm not actually expecting the next generation of young players to get that much time next year, which is sad because, you know, the club bangs on about that being a priority. You know, it's the Arsenal DNA this and Hale end that and all the rest of it. Um, and it makes sense when your finances are tight, but I just, I, I'm not seeing it at the moment. 
I mean, there is an argument argument to be made that that you know, given the financial predicament and given the 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 fact that it has been the young players who've emerged as the positives from this season that if you lean more or had lent more into young players, there might have been a bit more understanding for Arteta. Like if, 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 look, I'm not saying people would have uh, been okay with losing 13 games. And just to sort of use this example again, like, you know, if you play Reese Nelson the same amount of time you played Willian, I'm sure people wouldn't be saying, well, you know, at least he gave Reese Nelson a good try. It didn't work out. Uh, you know, I think people would be like going, this Reese Nelson, if he played like Willian, well, we got to get rid of him. He's not good enough, et cetera, et cetera. You know, football fans aren't mm. that um, diplomatic about things. You know, we can um, paint these narratives about how if he had played younger players, there might be more understanding. I do think there there might just have been, though, because it would have suggested a more coherent plan. We're going to use this season to give... Uh, development time to young players who next season can be better rather than giving playing time to a guy who next season is not going to be much better. You know what I mean? So there there, there would have been at least at the heart of it some kind of logic to it. But, you know, we may have no choice. We may have no choice other than to... um, other than to, to, to go in with some of the young players um, depending on what Mm. happens in the market. Have you got one more question? I have. Okay. Um... This one is from at Joe97349576. Um, catchy. Uh, if we were to sack Arteta and could only replace him with a manager currently employed at a Premier League team below us in the table, who would you choose? Oh. Uh... So just to give you a rundown of who those managers are, basically, okay. we've got, because we're ninth in the table, Leeds are tenth, Bielsa. Um, uh, Aston Villa's manager is, is that Dean Smith yeah Wolves Nuno Espirito Santo mm. Crystal Palace Roy Hodgson uh, Steve Bruce at Newcastle Graham Potter Ralph Hassenhutl Southampton um, Burnley Sean manager Dice. Sean Dyche I don't think so Scotty Parker at Fulham Sam Allardyce and Sheffield United don't really have a manager at the moment I Potter is interesting because of the way that Brighton play. Yeah. But. He's got a good win record at the Emirates. <laughs> are we playing them <laughs> on the final day of the season? We are. Where is it, yeah, home good. or away? It's at the Emirates. 10,000 right. Arsenal fans will be there to boo. <laughs> I, if it were me, just for the fucking madness of it, I'd go Bielsa. I'd like yeah. Bielsa. Just the uncompromising nature of him and the way that he, he wants to play and everything else. I think it would be crazy fun to see. It wouldn't, yeah. It wouldn't be so fun for us trying to do the post-game uh, transcriptions of the press no, conferences. No, probably not. Didn't he do like a 40-minute answer to one question this season? <laughs> Something PowerPoint like that. PowerPoint presentation, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would be. That would be my choice. I have to say. Would you go for anyone different? Uh, I think. I think Potter's interesting. I think Hassan Hootel is weirdly interesting in that I kind of can see what he's trying to do at Southampton, but then they keep going on these weird runs where they get battered and then yeah. lose ten games in a row, and it all if falls you're doing, apart. You're talking about not being drubbed. Yeah, chances yeah. are you could get a drubbing with him in charge. Um, 
Nuno Espirito Santo, I guess, was sort of on the list, wasn't he? I mean, mm. he was spoken about as a potential. Um, I think even Spurs have been linked with him recently. Um, I mean, and I think that's, you know, that is an interesting one. You know, if you saw someone who was available now and you saw some other clubs who were sniffing around at the same time, would you, you know, do yeah. you allow another good manager to go begging because you don't make your decision in the moment, mm. leave it a couple of months? Um, you know, I've seen some Spurs fans who've been nervous about the idea that Arsenal might sack a manager now with a view to trying to find someone on the market who Spurs were going for. Um, so, yeah, yeah we're not, though. So something about where both clubs are. I, I, I think don't think we are going to do that. So. No, we're not. We're not. Yeah. We're not. No, I think, yeah, Bielsa would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the Bielsa myth more than anything else. Also, I hate Leeds, so it'd be nice to take away one of their people. Yep, I could get on board with that. All right. Well, look, uh, we do have Chelsea on Wednesday. We are going to do a preview podcast for that over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. Andrew, thank you very much indeed uh, for filling in. It was much more Bakayo Saka at left back than Granite Xhaka uh, at the end of the day. So thank you. Uh, No worries. Have a goodly morning. And to all of you for listening, thank you very much indeed for being here. And we will catch you on the next one. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.